Hi, everyone, and welcome back to the I Am Not Alone podcast, where we dive deep into the personal, professional, cultural, and systemic changes that will redefine the way we care for one another. So this week, I'm so excited to bring you an episode hosted by my brilliant co-founder and co-host, Stephen Lee. He got to sit down with another Steve, so don't get confused here. His name is Steve Strauss, who is a caregiver we met through his use of the Ionicare platform. What we've come to know about Steve Strauss is that he is a true storyteller. He has a way of drawing you into his story and making you feel like you were right there with him. So we knew we had to hit record and share him with all of you. In November of 2020, Steve's wife of 56 years, her name was Pam, was diagnosed with two terminal cancers, and he suddenly found himself in a really intense caregiving role with zero warning or preparation. There's so much to say about Steve and the stories he'll tell, but I think what will come across most is that he is really here to honor Pam and share his experience in the hopes that it can help anyone out there today that's going through the same thing. This conversation felt too important to rush, so we're splitting it into two parts. We'll bring you part one this week, where Steve sets the stage of his and Pam's relationship and shares why his goal to accept, stay present, and lead with love made all the difference. This conversation between the two of them is pretty incredible, and I can't wait for all of you to listen. Thanks, Steve, for taking the time. We're grateful to ha- have you here and hear your story. Um, to start, uh, we'd love to hear more about Pam. How long were you married? Um, you know, how just more about, uh, you know, your life and marriage. Well, the, the interesting thing is uh, we actually grew up in the same church and we started doing plays and, and they were a hit. We took them on the road, in fact. So she and I worked together and I thought she was kind of cool. And I asked her on a date uh, the day before Valentine's was our first date. So we always celebrated February the 13th more than our anniversary, uh, in fact. Uh, and you can always get a good seat in a good restaurant on the February the 13th, by the way. Um, That's a good tip. And then uh, six months later, we got married. Boom. I oh, was wow. 20. She was 18. And uh, um, we we had a 56-year run. In fact, she passed away 10 days after February the 13th. And while... Uh, while we both knew we weren't trying to hold on for anything, we were living each moment of that last hundred days. Uh, nevertheless, it's it's obvious looking back on it, she really did want to make it to February the 13th. Uh, wow. And she did. And so we had a 56-year run. And if you, if you, here's her math. She said, that's 56 years. That's 47 great years, five that were pretty good, and four that were living hell. And we, we laughed, and she and I just disagreed on when those four were. Right. That's a pretty good ratio, though. <laughs> Give you an idea of her mindset. So that's we had, a, had two kids. We say we, we were young when we had them, so we say we all grew up together. And um, and we had a good run. We had a really good life. I loved her. She loved me, and it was it was good. It sounds like such a great and rich life partnership. How did you come to become her caregiver? 
Well, I, I've got to say this because I've watched some of your other podcasts and I was not a great caregiver. I was the breadwinner. Uh, she ran the household. I, uh, I said, we'll live on whatever I bring in the door. I'll throw it over my shoulder and then you make it all work from there and kind of a traditional old marriage. And, uh, and it worked for us. We had a great household. Uh, our two kids are close to this day and their spouses are close and their kids are all close. And we now have a, I now have a great grandbaby as of a, uh, about oh, a month congrats. ago. Uh, and, and, and the family unit works. So I give Pam credit for all that. And she was our volunteer. That was her contribution in the community. And then I followed around behind her, uh, under her direction when she needed something on that sort of thing. But I was not inherently a caregiver, uh, a linear kind of guy for most of my life, dual majored in mechanical engineering and finance and early in the computer business and blah, blah, blah. Then I got into the people business later and sold and was a speaker and wrote and all that. But she was the family caregiver. She ended up being the uh, court of last resort for all of the aging members of, of our family. My dad, uh, her mom, some of wow. her aunts. Uh, she was the go-to person there, took care of all that. And, and then I, I worked in concert with her, but under her direction. So when she was diagnosed on November 16th uh, of 21, or of 20, of 20 um, I suddenly became a caregiver. I didn't, I mean, it was, I was thrust into the role. Uh, they said, you have a mass in the right side of your brain and it's not good. And put her in intensive care. They were worried about seizure and, uh, the next day did an MRI and said, uh, by the way, you have pancreatic cancer or a mass on your pancreas, which biopsied later is that. So she had two pretty clearly fatal deals uh, in parallel and unrelated. Wow. So we knew that we knew that we knew that it was very, very unlikely that this was going to have a living end. And I just spent... We just spent every moment together, first six days in intensive care and then later at home. And uh, we spent every moment together for 100 days. She took her last breath 100 days after the diagnosis. Oh, wow. And in the course of that, I woke up into caregiverdom. Uh, and, you know, I was 75 years old. Uh, kind of maybe late to learn that, but I did. And and my daughter was phenomenal. She just was, she came and uh, she and her husband just had a travel trailer and got an RV park right near us. And she was there half the time and, and was a pillar of strength through this. Wow. And she and I got closer together than we'd ever been. So I learned some caregiving from her. And the end of the caregiver conversation is when I couldn't handle it, I called her and she came over and 24 hours later, we looked at each other and said, we can't handle it. And we call hospice. Uh, five days later, Pam took her last breath. So uh, it, it was caregiver. Uh, I still don't, I still don't wear a badge. This is I'm a, I'm a caregiver. Like a lot of folks are caregivers because I'm new to the game, but uh, I learned a lot about compassion. Yeah. I learned a lot about, 
uh, injecting myself into uh, situations and and taking charge when necessary and be yielding also when that was necessary. Yeah. And that was that was a learned behavior for me over that hundred days. Yeah. A long answer to your simple question. No, and, and it's it's great context. Unfortunately, I think that actually mirrors the experience of a lot of people. They get thrust into it and they never expect it at that moment. Um, and so I think your experience uh, and your inspiration here can help a lot of our caregivers. Did you know, at what point did you know how long you had? Was that right away? Um, well, literally while we were still in ER before they got us a room at the intensive care on day one, we were looking at each other, realizing, oh my goodness. And uh, she said, you know, and this was her phrase early and often. She says, when it's your time, it's your time. And she did a quick race. She said, you know, we've had a great run. Uh, our kids are good. Our grandkids are good. Um, she didn't fight anything. I didn't fight anything. And unspoken for probably the first hours, but before nighttime that day, we both verbalized we were uninterested, each of us individually and collectively. We were uninterested in doing any treatment or procedures to extend whatever time she had at the expense of the quality of the time that she had. We agreed that anything that we did or chose to not do would be in the interest of giving her the best possible quality and then deal with whatever amount of time was less. There was no grasping for one more day or any of the things. And, and I don't fault people for doing that. I'm just saying that was not our model. So it was really powerful. I mean, it was powerful for both of us. How did the journey evolve? I mean, you mentioned the 100 days. Um, you know, I imagine at the moment you were thrust into it and you heard the news and the diagnosis, there was a lot of sadness. I mean... It, it's it's just almost unbearable. And and how did that evolve over the hundred days um, as 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 you guys went on that journey? That that's a great great question. Uh, and I'll break it into two chunks. The first six days in intensive care, you're aware of uh, Kubler Ross's model of uh, anger and grief and bargaining and all that stuff. And I, and I say we just jump past all that. And we started that six days standing squarely in the middle of sadness. A lot of tears, a lot of hugging, a lot of uh, whatever, uh, sadness. But we had one foot in acceptance. That was that, hey, when it's your time, it's your time. That's an expression of acceptance by her and by me. And when we walked out of the hospital when she rolled out and I walked out of the hospital six days later to go home, we had shifted and we were now standing squarely in acceptance with a foot back over in sadness. So that was the, the shift that we made. And that was the gift of the first six days because they had her in intensive care because they were worried about seizure, but she didn't have a seizure. We didn't use the services of, intensive care, they left us the heck alone. 
they had a ward full of COVID people. And so we just had 24 hours together. I, I, of course, was sleeping in one of those fold-down chairs. <laughs> Somebody asked me later, oh, what was that chair like? And the word that came to mind was medieval. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, when we weren't sleeping, we were together. We were talking. We were hugging. We were crying. We were not. We were whatever. And so that was a gift to be in that environment, knowing we were and, and lovely staff, by the way. Everybody in that hospital could teach the Four Seasons, something about uh, customer care, uh, just terrific support. Yeah. But we didn't need them, so we had us. And I think that's what helped us shift from primarily sad but a little acceptance all the way to mostly acceptance was still a little sad as we left. That's an amazing transition. What, did you, what were you guys able to talk about that helped to make that transition? The We... We were clear and, and expressed the fact that we knew we didn't have anything to clean up. We didn't have anything to apologize for. Our life, hey, I said four years of a living hell, uh, that, her math and, and mine too. It was not a perfect marriage. I don't mean that. There were, there were some rough times. Uh, and primarily because of me, probably I'll, I'll, I'll own that. I, I had a lot of growing to do. Uh, so what a perfect situation. But here at the in the end stanza of this of this symphony, uh, this opera, whatever, we didn't have anything to apologize for. We didn't have anything to clean up. We didn't have anything to regret. Um, we'd handle it on all on the way. And so we were just clean in this space almost independent of time, just being with one another and expressing what we wanted to express, including the sadness. I, I, at her at service, I, I told folks, I said, you know, I, I cried enough in the first few days. I got dehydrated. I think uh, I, I'm not a weepy guy historically. Uh, I, I'm, I feel, but I don't have sadness and, and weep. And I cried. I cried a lot. And, and she did. So certainly we went went through that, and and some tears happened after we got home and and over the the following weeks, but it trailed off. Uh, it's like, and, and in fact, I'm going to jump ahead and tell you this. Probably three weeks, maybe before the end, I was sitting on the couch next to her chair, and uh, and I teared up. And I noticed it was different. And, and what I said, the language I, I used, I think at the time was, I noticed up until that moment, it had been tears of sadness when I would tear up or when I would actually cry or whatever, tears of sadness. And at that moment, it was tears of love. Oh. And they're different. They were fundamentally different. I'd never experienced that. I, I certainly don't recall ever experiencing that clear distinction right there and, and so any remaining tears were just expression that, uh, and so I use the expression at her service I said you know a lot of y'all know and love Pam and a whole bit I said there may be some tears today and I said if they've got to be sadness have your tears of sadness but also have room for tears of love as we experience it I said so let's all just 
be having love leaking from our eyes as we go through the day. And everybody laughed and, and that became a phrase that uh, I've heard back from folks then. Uh, so we had, we had love leaking from our eyes and I did that day when it, when it shifted. Wow. I mean, that's such a, such a important distinction, the, the, the sadness to love as, as you went through this transition. It, seem, it seems like it mirrored a little bit the sadness to acceptance a, a bit. Uh, and at some point, mm-hmm. the tears were just love. Uh, that's love. really powerful. Um, you mentioned before, I mean, family dynamics is such a critical part, such has a big role in the caregiving journey. How, how has this impacted your family? I think you and your daughter uh, almost partnered up in this. Um, would love to hear how that kind of evolved from, you know, the diagnosis yeah, to, and yeah. It, it, it's one of those uh, serendipity universe things. Our daughter and son-in-law had three years earlier bought a small house and spent the next three years uh, uh, until his retirement. He was a 35-year fireman paramedic. It was retiring, and so they, they got the house all fixed up with the intention to sell it. And in fact, they did. They got the highest per square foot price of any in that neighborhood. That, uh, so they did that one right. And they were going to do the travel trailer thing. They bought a 27-foot or whatever travel trailer, and they were going to go hit the road. And so they already had it planned that they were going to come to an RV park near us mid-December to mid-January and, and do Christmas there before they then hit the road. So November 16th, the world changed. And so they moved much earlier to that RV park that was two miles away. So that had the physical presence of my daughter and and son-in-law. Shortchange him, but she was the one that was there most. My son, our son and his wife lived about two hours away. And he's still working and she's still working. And so he and they couldn't be there as much. So I I don't make a difference here between their involvement because they had a very different situation. Circumstances. My daughter, the universe said, you're free, be there. And and Mike couldn't. Uh, But when he was, he was, and he was present the whole bit. And boys and their mothers, you know, they're just close. Yep. And and, and, and he was in pain uh, over this and felt like he couldn't do enough. And, of course, he couldn't. So he transferred that, making sure he's really taken good care of me (laughs) since then. So he he is now relaxed somewhat and realizes I'm going to be fine and, uh, and, and everything's okay. So... They, they had Break to process kids. it each in their own way. And her being present, I think, helped her make it, the process, uh, uh, differently than Mike did. Not better, just different. And so the, your daughter was there with you uh, in the caregiving journey. She probably was part of what helped me learn caregiver because she's pretty naturally that, too. And and we ju- and we talked about it toward the end. There, we never had a disagreement. Wow. If she'd make a suggestion, I'd go great. Or if I'd make a suggestion, she said great. And and not just to go along, we were in sync. And uh, and so I probably learned some caregiving stuff uh, from her. Just 
by osmosis. That's amazing. You mentioned earlier, Pam had the caregiving role in your family. And so I wonder if, you know, mother passed it to daughter and, uh, you know, that, that's, that's, that's great. Um, looking back, um, what do you see as the, as, as the role of the caregiver as you went, went through with Pam? Um, you know, what would, how would you define it for others that are just finding themselves thrust into it like you were? Oh boy. I, I love being able to speak definitively about things. Uh, I like to be able to share wisdom learned and earned and gained and all that sort of thing. And I, I, I feel really like I'm dealing from a short deck to answer your question. Cause I'm, I'm, I'm just not, uh, the experienced caregiver that many, many, many people are. But to, to do the best I can and answer your question, I'd say one is trust spirit, trust intuition, trust your heart, trust something other than just your mind figuring things out. Uh, it's easy for some of us to get caught up in the linear process and think things through and have a goal and take steps and cause them to happen and all that sort of thing, which is useful. That's great. You got to be able to balance a checkbook. Fine. There's no denigrating the linear mind process. We are also intuitive creatures. We are, uh, we have aha experiences, uh, uh, Wayne Dyer uh, is the first one that usually said that when you're inspired, it means you are in spirit. And, and I got that. So I read that. I thought, yes, that's what's happening. And, and thoughts that come in through the inspired side, the nonlinear side, they come in fully formed. They don't, the sentences don't unfold linearly. They come in and you just have a knowing. That knowing then may get linearized and, and linearized, if that's a good word, and, and, and more expanded upon, more understood. But you know that you know that you know as soon as an inspired thought comes in. So part of the answer to your question, I'd say trust your intuition. And if intuition says reach over and touch them on the hand, then just act on it. Don't wonder about, should is it the right time or should I do it or have I done that too much or do I look desperate or just, if just reach over. If intuition says don't reach over, then trust that too. In coaching, one of the things I, uh, I've learned to coach people on is to get to where you can hear and feel and trust and act on your intuition all the time. That you're driving along and it you know, turn right today and go, go home a different way. You know, if that comes up, just do it. See what happens uh, for whatever reason. Don't, don't give it meaning or whatever. Just practice uh, responding uh, to an intuitive hit. As a caregiver, one piece Trust and act on intuition rather than trying to figure it all out would be a real good thing.
Wow. Listening to that, I am so inspired by Steve's conviction to approach every challenge and tough moment on that journey with love. He always led with love and intention. Something he brought up that we hear pretty often is this feeling that he was thrust into caregiving. I mean, his whole life, when a family member was in need of care, Pam was the one to take it on. This is something he never imagined having to figure out for himself. And I think every single caregiver out there has felt the same sense of being unqualified and totally unprepared. So if you're feeling that way now, you are not alone. This is why I love when Steve spoke about putting the linear processes aside and once in a while, letting your intuition take over. As caregivers, the weight of our responsibilities can mean we just go through the motions, never stopping to check in on what we are actually feeling. And this is just one nugget of wisdom from Steve. There are many more left in this conversation, so don't forget to listen for part two next week. So we'll hear the rest of Steve's story, including some of his most important takeaways and learnings from this condensed but intense caregiving experience. Share your thoughts on today's conversation on social media at Ionicare. And as always, thanks for joining us as we navigate this journey together.